Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Pop-Up Submissions. It's me, your friendly local literary agent, Peter Cox, hosting this week's show where we try to find all the next big books and bestsellers and authors behind them too. Um, what's that over there? I do declare, it looks like a man with a pig up his nose. <laughs> no, it's not. Good heavens, it's a very welcome return to singer, songwriter, published poet, John Doherty. And over here, wonderful return to the ever-popular Annie Summerlee. Nice to see you again, Annie. Let's see what everyone's saying about you and me and the whole show. Who's this from? It's from Ian. Pop-up says Ian was the catalyst that made me pull the trigger. I hope that's a good thing. Uh, without this platform, I'd probably have tinkered for years and achieved nothing. Wow. That is a good thing. For me, pop-ups is compulsive Sunday evening viewing. Every week I learn so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, Ian, we, we love comments, good, bad, indifferent, whatever. Please send them in. It's really, really important. Uh, second show of the month now. And if you remember last week, first show of the month, we had a storming performance from Benjamin, Benjamin Rogers with Neither Nor, a futuristic retelling of the Pandora myth um, involving unleashing a new technology with a power to shape memory and desire. And that got such a stonking score, it could easily be the month's winner. But it kind of depends on what happens in the next few minutes. we've got a notice for you before we look at the first submission uh always lots happening in latopia inside the colony as we call it and there's a very big site redesign that's going to be unleashed early this week adding some really really interesting new features watch out for it please and now let's go straight to the first submission It's called The Book of the Dead. The Book of the Dead. I think I've heard that title before. Book one, Life is Fantasy Fiction. It's from S.J. Friel. And here is S.J.'s blurb. Reluctantly moving house from a grey mid-Kent town to a dilapidated mansion in rural Ireland, young adults Anna and Patrick soon discover that they're not entirely alone in the once grand abode. Hidden at the very heart of the stately home lies a dark, sinister secret concerning their parents, which lead the siblings on dangerous, life-changing quest to unimagined times and distant places to discover who or what they really are. Ooh, I'm tingling. Let's have a look at uh, the author bio. I'll tell you about SJ. Um, I'm fully, fully qualified, in brackets, dyslexic, chef living in Belfast having grown up in Kent I purchased a computer to use spell check to overcome my writing disability and decided to write three books loosely based on my experience of life and rearing my two children Anna hello and Patrick hello and I'm delighted to tell you actually SJ that we've got a first-class reading from Emily The Book of the Dead 
by S.J. Read by Emily. Book 1. Life. Chapter 1. Exercise 1. Prologue or Epilogue. I'm standing, nervously rocking my body back and forth on the narrow parapet of Caliph's castle. I hear a familiar voice speak softly in my ear, saying, Is this the prologomenon to your story, or have I come to witness your peroration? I force a smile, but ignore the question. Procrustes will make you lie in a bed that he intends you to fit in, the voice said. Then, from further away, it whispered, You will think of me as you lie there and dream dreams of dwarf planets and faraway galaxies, I promise. I frown, then concentrate on the matters in hand. Saladin is calling out over the din of the battle raging below, emotionally beseeching me not to jump. I glance towards Antinous, who appears to be frozen in time, like a gaudily painted Greek statue. He stirs and manages to extend a wry smile across his lips, causing his skin to gently dimple below his cheeks. Through the choking smoke I can just make out the inert body of the child, lying on terrace flagstones, half-naked, only partly wrapped in its bloodied, unravelled swaddling clothes. My stomach churns, and I feel feverish, made worse by the stifling, swirling desert air rising and whirling around me. A few short hours ago, I was at home, banished to the relative safety of my bedroom. Yet here I am now, on the verge of a mighty annihilation, contemplating my present, precarious predicament. This is the past, yet it is also part of my present and future self. I grimace weakly as I now realise how quickly things can become totally beyond my control. I think I catch a glimpse of some giant, black, cumbersome winged beast recede over the horizon briefly silhouetted by a single stab of a lightning bolt to reveal it is a dangling something, or someone, from its talons. I concentrate and form my arms across my chest, then let the weight of my body succumb to the irresistible, gravitational pull of the earth. I feel a brief, tingling sensation in the pit of my belly as I fall, free and careworn, towards the rock-strewn sandy plain one hundred feet below. Halfway down, the anger now burns and swells within my breast, I can hold on to no other thought than the single-minded desire to kill. Such is the psyche that I have invented for myself. A bloodthirsty rampage of unforgiving retribution now courses rapidly through my veins while I am still falling. My sword sings as I release it from its sheath. As the slipstream violently whistles past my ears, I almost lick my chapped lips in bloody anticipation. The carnage will begin slowly at first then frenzied until I have exhausted my bloodlust and released the blood of those who have lust for mine. I will not succumb to evil. Reaching terminal velocity, a moment of clarity ensues. The brief lull reminds me never to forget the time before the dream time. Call me Ishmael, Mr Panagopoulos said in a quiet, theatrical whisper. He raised his voice as he cupped both hands around his mouth to approximate the sound of a prison yard loudspeaker. It was a bright, cold day in April, and the clocks were striking thirteen. Pausing to ensure he had the class's attention, he spoke more softly and articulated. Whether I shall turn out to be the hero of my own life, or whether that station will be held by anybody else, these pages must show. He placed his notebook squarely on his desk and patted it affectionately. Great opening lines indeed, said Mr. Panagopoulos. Now for your assignment who has come up with their own favourite first line. He scanned the rows of students before him. Anybody want to speak up and give their reasons for choosing their own particular favourite? 
Mr. Panagopoulos paused for a reaction from the assembled, uninterested pupils. He watched the paleo faces contort and fold with flashes of half-formed ideas, but detected no rapport or literary complicity directed to their pedagogue. He sighed and sat back on the front edge of his desk, still looking, expectantly, up and down the classroom. Wow, I think lots to talk about in this, actually, SJ. Thank you very much for sending this in. Let's just have a look at the genius room to begin with. Um, let's see. Oh, Emily, of course, who, who's our reader, and so always like to go straight to the narrator if we can, because they see it in a completely different way, usually. Uh, Emily says, I wasn't sure where this was in place or time, mm. and it didn't fit the blurb. Several other people have said that too, and the words tripped me up. Uh, yes. <laughs> I've got to ask John about that in a minute. Uh, it would have to hook me soon, or I wouldn't read on. That's interesting, because I actually got really quite into this, and I definitely would read on. Um, the beginning, the comments were um, about the, the tongue, <coughs> tongue twisters. Um, blurb needs to hire the stakes. Uh, Vagabond says big words I don't understand. I'm entirely sure what's going on, where I am in space or time. Very cool, says Fishstix428, direct from YouTube. We don't know who you are, Fishstix, but thanks for your comment. Little verbose. It is, it is wordy, but I want to talk to John about that because um, sometimes I think children like big words, actually. Um, how high is she, says Vag, like a parachute jump amount of falling time. Compton writing, says Johnny, but as others have su suggested, there's a disconnect between the opening and the blurb. Yes, I think there is. But I personally also find something really quite riveting about this, actually. There's lots you can, you can pull it to pieces for things, but would I read on? Yeah, I would do. But let's ask, let's ask John. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm confused at this point because, as, as a few people have said, we've gone from this complete fantasy battle to a classroom yeah. um, with, with nothing to connect it at all. We don't even know if the, you know, we don't know if there's anything to connect the mm -hmm. person taking part in the fantasy battle with the, the classroom. The classroom seems to be, um, you know, sort of the camera's pulled quite back. Quite yeah. far back, it's looking at the, it's looking at the teacher. There's nobody in this classroom seen for us to identify with at this point. Yeah. Um. So so I, I'm I'm confused. Yeah. Um, well, we don't want know, that, I'm do just, we? We've confused no, we our, our no, readers straight don't. away. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't confuse um, John. I mean, he might turn nasty. I, I, well, I might just need to go and lie down. That, that's that, right. That's the issue. Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, there's you know. There's, there's lots to like about the writing, but it feels to me at the moment like we've got two completely different stories here and we've just had a snippet from, from each one. Um, uh, and, and for me, uh, I guess at this point, I'm thinking if I don't get some idea of what's going on and who I'm meant to be identifying with, who yeah. the characters are, yeah. I, I'm, I'm gonna lose interest. I haven't yeah. lost interest yet. Yeah. But you're testing my patience, and and that's you. You have to be really skillful to to do that. It can be done, yeah. but um, yeah. I mean, not, you brought it, you brought us down to earth. There's some there's something in it that I I like. I like I like SJ's yeah. use of words. Uh, there's a fluency there, and there's something else I also like a lot too, which is there's a lot of confidence. It's kind of assured writing, and I I, I like that a lot. But I mean, I can't disagree with anything you say. 
Um, yeah. I mean, what, what you're saying too, but I mean, there were some people saying, oh, it's well written, some people saying big words. Um, um, what I, is I this about of, big words? It, uh, is it okay to use big words if you're writing for children or what? Um, I mean, is this for children? Uh, well, or are called, you just asking me it's as a called, children's it's writer? Called, it's called fantasy fiction. Now, I'm pretty much persuaded, actually, that this is this is intended for a, a younger audience. But honestly, in terms of the notes I've got here, I can't put my heart, my hand on my heart, and say it is. So that's just my right, impression. Right, because I mean, it it didn't read to me like um, like something that's particularly aimed at children. Right, and if it is, it would be teens, uh, maybe yeah. even young adults. Yeah. Um, but but for me, well, as I say, the first bit, I thought, okay, we're in a fantasy. Uh, you know, we're in a full-blown fantasy, yeah. probably aimed at adults here. And then, as I say, we go into the classroom. Um, so, you know, there, there's, there's a question. Oh, there's a comment from Galadriel that, that nails it for me. Mm. Um, it's good to introduce children to new words, just not too many in a short space. Yeah. Um, the, the, I mean, there was one sentence there that contained two words that I've never heard before. Yes. <laughs> um, I was very impressed by that. <laughs> yeah. Now, one word in a sentence that I've never met before, where the, you know, I can probably work out the meaning from the context. Two, and you're risking losing me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. <coughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, John is suffering a lot from uh, his throat today. So, uh, yeah, the price, the price of having the wonderful John here is we do get the occasional cough. It's not a problem. We're very, very pleased that you, you didn't cancel on us, John, because it's always special oh, when you come on. You. Um, can you, can you uh, press your vote button so we can see what numbers you've got? Please. I can actually, one other thing just to say uh, before, before I do that is yeah. that I felt. Like I say, you know, there's there's definitely a lot to like about SJ's writing, but mm. some of it I did feel was a bit overridden. Um, and there were times, I mean, in the blurb, the word abode, for instance, stuck out. It's it's a perfectly useful word, but I kind of felt at that point, why not why not just say house? Yeah. Um, yes. And and there were yes. there were a few times where. I think the dyslexia thing is interesting. I wonder if at times, SJ, you're trying to overcompensate for yeah. uh, for being dyslexic yeah, by going, it's yeah, but look, I'm literate, I know all these words, yeah. um, and, and you don't need to do that. You really yeah. don't. Um, but Michelle, just, Michelle says in the genius room, I'm dyslexic too. I also overwrite. Not sure if that's something from that, but I love the prose, she said. And Galadriel yeah. is going pro prolegomenon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, a it's lot great. of the prose I liked, and then just every now and then we'd, we'd hit a sentence. There was something about directing something to the pedagogue. Yes. Um, and, and, and I thought, just, that felt a bit too much. Yeah. You know, yeah. when I, I know could have just looking at the teacher. I know what you're saying. <clears throat> what you know, sometimes first less is more. Yeah, exactly. First reactions, please, Annie. Um, well, I kind of have a feeling that there's just like, based on, especially the prologue, that there's a really big story here. And you mm. can really tell that there's something really epic going on, mainly because there's so many... Even though there's, I don't know, there's like loads of different characters and and there's so much happening. But at the same time, I think that if it, um, if the author had cut down a little bit in that first section before going to the classroom, hmm. um, it, I think it would have hit a harder, um, I think it would have been better because it's really easy to get a bit lost um, there at the beginning. Um, 
especially because I think Johnny pointed out earlier on that there's um, it's, it's kind of a trope now that um, people start with a battle in a fantasy novel. So true. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if it's something that you've already seen before, I think you have to open it with something that's like yeah. that's going to catch your eye. And um, there was one moment where there was this, like, I think it was a beast. Um, I don't know what it was exactly. Something that was flying across the sky, and I thought, oh, that's interesting. Hmm. I wish we could have started with that yeah. instead of yeah. um, instead of this. Uh, I don't know what it was that he was saying. And there was a lot of like internal monologue, which isn't a bad thing, but. It did get a little bit too much. Um, yeah. What about the title, I, guys? Um, we've uh, sort of gone over... I mean, I, you know, the, the, the Book of the Dead is not exactly an original title, is it? I mean, is that, is that a, a plus or a minus for us? I think it would need a new title. I, I feel like that would not really um, stand out enough, especially yeah. if it's just book one and the, the, book, the first book's going to have another name anyway. Yeah, or maybe yeah. that's the first book. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I like the idea of book one of the Book of the Dead being called Life. That was that was a nice hmm. little contrast. Yeah, but um, but yeah, the Book of the Dead. I mean, it, it's. Am I right? Is it originally from ancient Egyptian? Yeah, mythology? I think it's E.A. Wallace Budge or something like that from memory. Uh, probably read um, it about when I was six, I think. <laughs> but yes, you know, it is. Yeah, it's it's one of those so vaguely it, it, theosophical tracts, actually. Yeah, but you know, I mean, I kind of feel like I, you know, I've encountered the Book of the Dead as a title. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I I suspect, I I don't know. I suspect it, it, it crops up in all kinds of places as a title that people refer to. Hmm. Um, if you see what I mean, you know, um, I, it's it's I'm, not it's I'm not shockingly original, is it? Really, I mean, no. it's, it's you know, if you do an Amazon search, you're going to find 257 probably. Let's just see yeah. what. Um, oh, Galadriel's done some research for us. This is part of the genius of the genius rooms, um, and she's actually hmm. checked out Prolegomenon, <laughs> and it has a meaning. It's a critical dis discursive intro to a book. I had to look it up. New word for me, and I suspect everyone hmm. too. Yeah, um, how interesting. If I can say it, I'm, if I can't say it, I'm never going to use it, says Vagabond, and I think that's right. Let's look at your numbers, <laughs> SJ. Uh, you know what? It's, that's nothing to be ashamed of. You've got a solid 59 there. You've got lots and lots of useful comments, especially from uh, from John, who works in this area. I think I think it's YA, isn't it? If you're... I, I'm, if you're I'm really based on sure. the blurb. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. I don't know. But in the blurb, yeah. it mentions that the two main characters are young adults. I think that's what it yeah. says. I'm, yeah. I'm guessing. That's what Maybe. I'm. I'm basically. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm sort of relating to that. But yeah. I, just, I don't. I don't so, know really. But but I mean, again, it's interesting that that's not in the the information you've got. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you know if if you're specifically writing for young adults, it, it's a good idea to. To make that clear in, in your, you know, the package that you send off, Absolutely. but then SJ may not be aware. I mean, this happens sometimes where, you know, I mean, you know, sometimes when I write something, I'm not, I don't particularly have an age group in mind. I'm just writing it, and then yeah. I send it to my publisher, and then I have a wrangle with them over yes, who of it's actually for. <laughs> <laughs> That's what publishers you can have. You can have um, books for adults that have um, younger main characters as well. Like that's not really. Um, I don't think that's the issue. But obviously, you have to yeah. know exactly what your target audience is. 
Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I think actually the, 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 there's a point there, Andy, just about how the publishing industry has shifted. Um, so, for instance, something like Lord of the Flies is now regularly oh, yeah. referred to as yeah. a teen or young adult yes. or even a children's book. Yes. And it wasn't. It's not. Yes. It's yes. just, you know, Goldman didn't write this for people who'd grown out, just grown out of Enid Blyton. Yeah. It's, it's an adult novel. Yeah, yeah. Um, Very good point. Very good point. Going to return and have another word with John. John, most important question I can ask you today, very serious, very mm -hmm. focused. Uh, need a, an honest and detailed answer, please. Why yeah. are badgers so bad? Well, it's because, um, basically, how many books have you ever read that has a wise, kind badger in it? Lots. Yeah, I mean, I think Wind in the Willows is the archetype. It is. But there are so many books out there with wise, kind badgers. And I was thinking about this one day. And it occurred to me that the badgers who live near me are not wise and kind. Oh. Because I know what wise and kind people do. They share, they give good advice, they're helpful, they look after people. You know what what, what wise and kind people don't do? No. Wise and kind people don't come to my house in the middle of the night, knock my dustbin over, <laughs> pull the lid off, rip the bin bag into bits and scatter the rubbish everywhere so I have to tidy it up in the morning. That's shameful. So after, it is, it is. So after about the fifth time of this happening, I thought, right, that's it, the badgers are being the bad guys. Yes. Well, I mean, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I can't fault you. I can't fault you for that. And there we go. Uh, stink bomb, stink bomb, and ketchup face. Big series. I mean, you've written what thirty books, haven't you, Ashley? Uh, yeah, over over thirty books now. Yeah, yeah. And more. Um, and um, a slightly more serious question. There is this this phrase going around now that kind of just penetrated my consciousness recently about digital natives. Digital natives. That is, oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, people who, who young people, I suppose, not so young now actually, but people who've actually grown up just reading digitally and they don't really understand what these, you know, physical bits of paper are all about. Um, does that put a sense of terror into you, or you just think, yeah, it's still reading? I'm not sure to me that digital natives are, you know, it's not necessarily an expression just about reading. I mean, it's about children who've grown up in this yeah. in this digital world of ours, um, and. I think among digital natives, there's still, <coughs> excuse Bless me. you. Thank you. Quite, um, quite a lot of readers of, of paper books. In fact, mm. I think that I may be wrong, but I think that children's books is um, it's one of the biggest areas in publishing now. Um, yeah. But I don't think it's that big in the ebook section. I could be yeah. wrong, and you know, yeah. there may well be a publisher out there going, "No, we sell lots of ebooks, and if there are, please let us know." Yeah. But, uh, but. I think, but, pic, know, pic, I think I don't know how you could do a picture book really digitally. I mean, maybe, maybe there are, but you know, it's it's got to be physical, hasn't it? I can't remember who it was who first said, "You will never convince me that the physical book is dead until you can make uh, an ebook version successfully make an ebook version of the Very Hungry Caterpillar." Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Because of course you've got you know th that physical stuff where you're, yeah. Absolutely, Kate. They're saying mm. older kids get into ebooks if they're keen readers, but most definitely prefer paper. Mm. Um, and the thing is that when you when you engage with a book, you engage with it differently. Research shows more deeply when you're yeah. reading it on paper rather than on screen. Yeah, you know, I think we, I, th uh, I couldn't agree more. We can, we're going to pick this point up and explore it uh, in a moment. Let's look at our second submission today. 
here we go. Return Zero, science fiction. By John, QR code there, scan it, see where John wants you to go. This is John's blurb. The leader of the artificial intelligence civil rights movement mm. meets a mysterious benefactor who, with a unique view of time, takes her through the decayed underbelly of American politics in a push for the right to vote. Don't scoff, it could happen. Let me tell you about John. I'm a journalist says John, covering banking, uh, the banking the US, in the US. Uh, um, I formerly worked for Politico, know that well. I have a journalism degree and a minor in political science from the University of North Texas. Short, sharp, to the point. And we're going to give you the most wonderful reading we possibly can from John. Return Zero, written by John Pryor, read by John. One. Gretchen Zero wondered when her bus last carried a human as she picked up the same wood panelling she picked out every morning on the way to the pillowcase factory. Today, a flap curled away and she frowned at it after the rush of triumph over the adhesive, realising it was new, just purposely painted to look outdated and obsolete. The other artificial seamstresses stirred out their windows at the rust-belt city bent over from chronic economic scoliosis. Broken machines waiting for their decommissioned dates staggered around outside apartment buildings long abandoned by humans and designated for artificial housing. Apartment complexes gave way to rusted warehouses and factories gurgling along in the grey morning air. Gretchen's friend, Patty Three, sat next to her humming A notes in repetition. It calmed her down on the way to the factory, but some of the others, like Amy 14 and Sheila 1, in the seat behind them sighed audibly. Jackie 5 sitting across the aisle glared at her. Why do you think they let us think for ourselves if this is all we do? Gretchen asked Patty in the hopes of getting her friend to stop humming and avoid a confrontation. Oh, I don't know, Patty said. It's so we buy things in our own time off, Jackie answered for her. Jackie was an older model. Gretchen suspected she was less than a year from her decommissioned date and carried with her a look of disgust at anything that would last beyond her time. The bus, the factory, other machines. She was only ever nice to elderly humans and visited a hospice downtown when she wasn't in the factory or she rode the bus out into the countryside and back. Gretchen felt her skin suddenly burn, then subside. You go to the store and you buy clothes and you watch television, Jackie continued. We're consumers. They basically invented more for customers for the stuff they force us to make because they want to keep selling more of it. Gretchen noticed that Ron the 92, who had drawn the unlucky turn to sit next to Jackie, switched off her hearing sensors. But aren't we less productive than, say, automated machinery that used to stitch this stuff together? Gretchen asked. Why make us if they're cheaper? I don't know, Jackie said. I like to think I'm pretty productive. I just hate to imagine they chose to do this out of cruelty, Gretchen said. How do you mean? Patty asked. To create us only to keep us in places like this, doing this kind of work. I assume they have a similar beef with their own creator, Sheila said behind them. The bus stopped at the factory entrance and Patty went back to humming her A notes. The driver, also a machine named Emmanuel 65, scribbled at a crossword puzzle as they filed off. He mumbled something when Gretchen thanked him for the ride, as she did every morning. A turnstile in the gate creaked in greeting them. A yawning human security guard named Julio blew on his coffee and waved to Gretchen as she passed through. You okay, Miss Zero? 
Same as always, I think, she said. You look a little distracted today. I think you're the only human I've ever met who can discern the slight variances in my emotional status. Yeah, I can read you better than I can read my wife. How is Gloria? She's helping her mother move in with us today, so it's been, you know, how would you expect that to go? I mean, it's great because the day car bills are kicking my... They're tough, but her mother has a screw loose. Most machines would take that as a slur, Julio. No, I, I didn't mean to... But I've read up on the books of the slurs hurled at us from time to time and take a few of them to heart. I view them as a sign of equality, actually, that malfunctioning humans and machines can be described with the same terminology. That's very open-minded of you, Ms. Zero. They breathed the morning air, but only one of them had to. They could both feel the cold of the late winter morning, though, and the tediousness of the jobs they didn't want. Yeah, sorry, I uh, missed my cue there because I was just thinking about that line, they breathed the morning air, but only one of them had to. I really like that. Um, let's see what... Uh Johnny says, who's on a writer, some really long sentences <clears throat> they could do with a prune, but I found there's something developing here. Um, Vagabond says, nice last sentence. Um, I tripped up too often. The dialogue tagging could do with more clarity. And blurb, generally interesting blurb, slightly critical of the blurb. Jan says, I'm really digging this. Uh, okay, says, enjoying this, something brave new world about it. I'm getting personally getting a bit of a Blade Runner uh, vibe. What do you think, Annie? I really liked it. Um, I've, um, I just recently read uh, that book by um, Clara and the Sun, which is about um, robots by um, Ishiguro. Oh, yes, and, um, of course, of course, yes. So I was getting, I was getting a vibe um, from that because it's also um, yeah. sort of rights of robots and things. Yes. So it's, I think when I when I read the blurb, I thought if you're going to write about this subject, then you're going to have to make it very clear from the get go what makes this different. Because I think there's mm. probably thousands of books about the just as you say, Blade Runner. So there's mm. really so many that are dealing with this subject. Um, but there was something really human to the to the writing and to the kind yeah, of was. conversation that they were yeah. having. Yeah, yeah. Because they all felt like real characters, and it was actually funny at times as well. So I, I really liked it. I enjoyed it. Do you think? I mean, um, on, on a practical basis, I mean, it is interesting, sort of feeling yourself um, <laughs> getting, you know, invested in a character that's absolutely not human and is complete as a machine. Really, it's quite interesting that I, I, I enjoyed that sensation. Like, oh, look, I'm investing in this. Um, but on a practical basis, do you actually think robots really would need to talk to each other? I mean, they wouldn't they have some other form of digital interface? Yeah, that's that is a good question because. Obviously, if, if the author's writing a book like this that's sort of based on robots being just like us, then it's going to be very different. But it would be interesting to explore different ways of, um, of communication and also what might make it more difficult, depending on how many human characters they have, is making that distinction in yeah. the sort of voice that they all have and how yeah. they are... Because that book that, that I read, um, Clara and the Sun, you could really tell just based on the way that the characters spoke who was human and who was a robot. Yeah. So that is something worth um, exploring, I think. Yeah. But overall, I really enjoyed it. 
It's got a lot, lots of good comments coming in, actually, John, now. And the, um, yeah, the chat room, definitely uh, genius room. What are you saying, chat room? Genius room uh, really wants <laughs> to, um, to read more. Um, Lex says, um, Blurb really hooked me. Some great ideas to explore there. Michelle says, I was invested. Anna, I would read on. Uh, Johnny, you're a standout line for me, too. And Johnny's an narrator. Yeah. So then, Johnny, your thoughts? Yeah, so... Um I, I mean, I, I'm 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 intrigued by the fact that some of the uh, the folks in the genius room really didn't like the blurb, and some did. I I loved it. Um, I mean, it's it's not, you know, I'm uh, like last time. I'm not giving sort of top marks for crafting the blurb. Just on do do I do I think they've summed up a really interesting idea, and I think they have. I mean, yeah. for me, that's that that blurb gets full marks on those yeah. grounds because it made me it made me immediately want to read on it made me want yeah. to know what happened it made me want to open the book um now opening the book i thought there's some there's some terrific writing there um you know some of the, some of the descriptive stuff really hooked me um and uh, and as annie was saying so you know it's funny as well that line about the screw loose and well you know yes. some yeah. machines would find that offensive you know that, that <laughs> made right. me laugh yeah. out loud and um you know I don't I I don't that often laugh out loud at something I read. Uh, you know, I have I I I'm I'm more of an internal chuckle kind of guy, but that one made me laugh out loud. Yeah. Um the only problem I I have with it is something that Annie picked up, which is really that um the machines were too too human. They were very human. Um yeah, you know, and and I found myself thinking. I know that this is about you know the machines don't have rights. They, uh, you know, from the blurb we know they don't get to vote. They're talking about how they're oppressed, and I'm thinking. Yeah. By the time your machines get to talking like this, surely there there'd be a lot of humans going, you know. Free the house elves, yeah. Well, that's that's a yeah. really good question, yeah. actually. Let's, try, let's just explore try that. To give Dobby talks. I think you you've know? got two uh, two totally different strands of uh, potential future history here, haven't you? Really, because you've got on the one hand, you've got you know what what are they going to be? They're going to be data basically from Star Trek uh, Next Generation, yeah. uh, which are, uh, every bit as human as any other character on that show, possibly more so than Patrick yeah. Stewart, um, and you know, <laughs> uh, benevolent and and great, basically just mm -hmm. fantastic. Have around with as a resource. Then you've got the sort of Terminator view, yeah. um, which is almost here now. Actually, you just look at the uh, dreadful mm. things that Boston Dynamics is doing, uh, are doing with uh, killer robots out there on the battlefield, and you think, Jesus, you know, we're going to be extinct soon. I mean, which yeah. which path path of history do do you, do you any think we're, we're headed for? Oh, I don't know. Um... Like in the real world. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah. I, I, was, I just want to think about the books. <laughs> it's much easier yes. to talk about books in the future. I so agree. What, what do you think, John? Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Thinking about the future is a bit worrying. Um, Jeez, you yeah. know, I mean, you know, after COP26, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm wondering, you know, are we going to get much further before civilization collapses anyway? Oh. Um, but, uh, but in terms of those two strands you're uh you're talking about you know data and um uh and, and the terminator yeah and, and 
I suppose it's more in the data strand of things. The third strand is, is not too far from data in some ways, but, you know, Asimov's the bicentennial man. Um, and, yes. and like yes. data, that's a yes. terrific example of yeah. a great character who is not human, yeah. but who's human enough for us to be able to identify with. Yeah. And I think... Transhumanism is, is on the rise too, isn't it? Maybe that's the yeah, way ahead. Yeah, oh that's true. God. Oh my but God. I, I do think you could um, could just tweak all those characters and it wouldn't take very much, I mm. think, all those characters who were talking on the bus, it wouldn't take very much to make them recognizably machines. Not necessarily, yeah. you know, not necessarily machines like you know, we're used to seeing in, in in fiction or whatever, you could put your own spin on it. But yeah. just give it that little tweak, and this could, it could potentially be a, a fantastic idea. Yeah, it could. Yeah. So that's that's the thing, isn't it, really, with this? I think we, 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 like, we like what you're doing here, John, but it's, um, Annie's basically saying, I mean, maybe it's 10 years too late, and they all may be longer, well, actually. Go on. Just um, one more thing, actually, when you were talking there, um, the only sort of detail that we get in terms of um, these characters being robots is just the number at the end of their mm -hmm. name. So I think if there's something else that's not just that, because that feels a bit tropey, like just having, obviously it's fine for them to have a number as their name, but if there's also something else that, that made us think, right, that's a robot, because then that'll yeah. bring out more of that. Yeah, I used to know yeah. someone actually. I, 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 I don't know, twenty years ago, um, who actually changed his name to, to have a digit. His name was Perry Eight, and he he did that really just to recognise that uh, the future was closer than we think. Ah, uh, yeah. John, I just need to see if you pressed your vote button here. I just need. To oh, I have not yet. The, no, vote, it's the, it's the cold medication. Me Blame it on the cold medication. That's, That's what, what it is. Really. Yeah. Okay. So you do All that. All the stores lined up there. I just needed to press it. Fantastic. So it'll take a second or two. And there you go. Wow, you've soared up there. John, that's amazing. Um, J-O-N, uh, you've got 71. That's not quite 73, which Ben has got, but it's still, you know, powerfully but good score there. Let's just look at um, the various scores. Craft, uh, Genius Room. Oh, it's just gone down a little bit now, the Genius Room. Um, blurb, 60s. Overall bang, that's a commercial potential, six, uh, potential 66. I think you're doing rather well. I think you should feel very pleased with yourself. Yeah, and number three, straight on. Mystery suburban dra drama from Dave White, and it's called Gone Running. Oh, it's you. Hello, Dave. Give you a virtual wave out there on the old YouTube land. Um, this is Dave's blurb. One fine Saturday morning, Jess Lynn went running and didn't return. Her husband, Will, is already a worrier and his wife's disappearance knocks him for a loop. He can't reach her and he doesn't know why. Did she run away? If so, why? Has someone taken her? Is she still alive? What would he do if he found her dead? <coughs> Who can he trust? He eventually marshals his wits and enlists his friends for support to help find out why Jess hasn't returned and what it means for all of them. So, Dave, I'm going to tell everybody about, about you right now. We've been researching the hell out of you, and this is what we found. A curious person by nature, I have many interests and hobbies. 
I have a runner and a writer. I am a runner. I've, I've got a runner. Yeah? No, I am a runner and a writer and have combined those two pursuits in this novel. The inspiration for the premise was a what would you do if discussion that I had with my significant other. A creator of both fiction and non-fiction, I have a small handful of listings on Amazon.com and I also publish regularly on a, on a homework help website called Social Studies for Kids that I started way back in 2002. That is antediluvian terms, isn't it, in terms of the internet? And I'm honoured and delighted to say that your reading today comes from Barbara. Gone Running by Dave White, read by Barbara. Saturday. 30 minutes. She said that she would be back in 30 minutes. That was 30 hours ago. Don't miss me too much, she had also said. It was what she always said, to which he always replied, I'll try. He definitely missed her now. She had been gone too long. Will Lynn was a warrior. He had been since he was a boy. He was an adult now, a teacher of boys and girls. A man of medium height, weight and temperament who hoped that his insecurities didn't show to the children he taught. He still worried about himself, about his life and about his wife. They hadn't gotten around to having children yet, but he was sure that if they ever had any, he would worry about them too. Jess, his wife, seemed not to worry at all. She carried her tall, athletic frame with an air of confidence and caprice. Such a carefree spirit she was, flitting from one episode of her life to the next, seemingly without the worry at all. It was just fine with her that he worried enough for both of them. She didn't like to waste time worrying. She didn't like to waste time at all. One of her favourite sayings was, Why waste time when you can make time? She should have made good time and been back long before now. Instead, she had not returned. It was not the first time, but this was the longest that she had ever been gone. He reflected on all this as he bit his nails and waited for his wife to return his calls or texts. For the 27th time, he checked his phone. No new calls, no new texts. He sighed and fretted, began another text and then stopped and sighed again. They had gone for a hike at the nearby state park, which had a handful of trails that crisscrossed a 16-square-mile area of trees, shrubs, rocks and soil. They had hiked the length of the park and then back again. When they returned to the visitor centre, Jess had quickly gone to the car and changed into her running gear. She was a keen runner and had been in the habit lately of following up their hiking time together with a run. I'll be back in half an hour, she had said as she tied her usual double knots on her running shoes. Go get a coffee or read a book or listen to a podcast or something. Don't just sit there and wait for me. I'll see you soon. The only part of her instructions that he had followed was that he had gotten himself a coffee and then another and another as he whiled away the hours until the park ranger said he would do something about it. Will and Jess had enjoyed a leisurely full-sized breakfast at home that morning. You're hungry, he remarked. I'm going for a run after our hike, she replied. It's too nice of a day not to. He smiled inwardly thinking that he would be looking forward to an afternoon of relaxation, not more exercise. But that was not Jess. No, Jess was driven, driven to succeed, driven to excel. She looked forward to getting her exercise, especially her running. She had more than once encouraged him to join her. Well, one day, was his usual reply. They had arrived at the state park at mid-morning on Saturday and had spent a couple of hours hiking 
traversing the main trail in both directions, stopping a few times to enjoy the songs of the local birds. It was nearly noon by the time they had finished. While she went back out for more, he had been glad to get off his feet. Will had finished his third coffee from the vending machine and had exhausted his patience with the informative displays on local flora and fauna within the visitor centre before he decided to talk to the ranger, Jeff Anderson. By that time, Jess had been gone for three hours. Uh-huh. Not looking good. Let's see what Barbara says. Always like to go straight to our narrator. Um, I can see it there. I'm going to quote from another screen I've got because that's moving too fast. Um, there's something about it I really like, says Barbara, but it needs more work. Too many, rep- uh, too many repetitions of words, too much explaining, telling, not enough showing. We're told he's worried, but I'm not seeing it. Let's see he's terrified. And Hannah says, a bit repetitive. And Vagabond also says, too much telling. But Martin says, there's warmth to the voice. Johnny, quite enjoying this. Um, and there was this thing going on uh, on YouTube, actually, uh, wasn't it, Dave? Because you were saying, ah, it's, it's more than a disappearance. <laughs> Which I, I understand that, but Eva says it's uh, if it's more than a disappearance, it should be mentioned in the blurb. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Um, yeah, but I do know. We're going to find out from John. How did you, um, how did you feel about this? Oh gosh, mixed feelings. Um, there's, there's some stuff I, I liked very much. I, I really loved the, um, the opening description of of our hero. Um, that just felt very, very believable and relatable. The, you know, medium height, medium weight, medium build, worried about this, worried about that. You know, um, we know, we all, we know that character. We're there. We do. You've introduced us to somebody we know and we're going to like him and we're going to get a bit irritated with him at times, but we're going to like him. Um, I love that. Um, I have concerns, not least, um, you've called it gone running. If you um, if you put this uh, if you put this in a collection of books organised by title, mm. it's going to be right next to Gone Girl. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I was thinking that. Yes, that's yes. the obvious comparison. Um, yeah. you know, it, <laughs> a guy whose wife has disappeared, as as a yeah. number of people have said, what what's different about this? Yeah. You know, and, and Dave himself is going, it's not just a disappearance, folks. It's not just a disappearance. But yeah. when an agent is reading your manuscript, you can't be there on YouTube going, no, keep reading, agent, keep reading. Know. Um, you know, you've got to let it, you've got to get it to a point where it can speak for itself. And in many ways, this this read to me like a first draft, I think. Hmm. Um, you know, there was some lovely bits in there, like, say, the, the description of a hero straight off. But... Um, you know, one or two people in the comments were saying it's getting a bit repetitive now, and I, I think twice it says uh, something about them having arrived at the state park. Mm-hmm. Uh, they only need to arrive there once. Yeah, um, yeah, that is know, that, so- that is absolutely um, um, first draft stuff, isn't it? Really, um, it's a yeah. bit of a bit of a trope. This isn't it? It's almost a subgenre because mm-hmm. I, I absolutely was thinking of Gone Girl, uh, a fabulous film, um, fabulous book, um, mm-hmm. and then I was also thinking of Roman Polanski's Frantic some years before starring Harrison Ford exactly the same setup actually except it happens right. in, a, in a hotel in, in Paris and um, yeah I mean it's it's a, it's a classic setup and what I'd be looking for Dave would be a twist 
I'm looking for a twist. Because it, it's proven commercial. You're, you're talking about commercial stuff here. Yeah. But you can't just tread the same territory that Gillian, what's her name, did in Concord. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> and we've got to feel that right from the beginning. Excuse me, I'm going, I'm getting your infection here. You are. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> I, it's just sympathetic. You know, it's, it's like some digital virus. Yeah, some people, you know, some men get phantom pregnancies. I'm getting your phantom cough. What did you? Mm. It's not exactly. We, it, it's not a, a very accurate comparison, but but it's close <laughs> enough. What, what what do you think, Annie? Um. Well, I like the first paragraph, but I I think I have to disagree with um with John because I didn't like the description. I didn't like the description of the main character or of the the wife. It kind of just felt like it was just sort of that the the author didn't really trust us enough to sort of feed that information in slowly. I I feel like it should have been um, maybe either commit to that 100% and sort of draw out this character study that this is who I am sort of thing or just um, do that in a slow way, in a way that we kind of get to know this character through the way that he's acting. Um, I honestly, I found the first, um, maybe the first three or four paragraphs, the first one was good, where it was just, you know, the 30 minutes, but she's mm. been gone for 30 hours, that was good. That almost felt like it could be a blurb on the back of a, of a book. Yeah. Um, but then I, I, what I wrote down was that there's this um, line where it says, for the 27th time, he checks his phone. I think that would be a better place to start because that way we're not mm, getting any mm. of this backstory. Yeah. And there you're just, right away you're thinking, right, why is yeah. he checking his phone? And, you know, it's a specific mm. number, so it feels like a detail. So it's, um, yeah, but I, I agree with the chat, with the genius room and the um, repetition. It just felt... Like we were stuck, kind of waiting for something to happen because they know we all know that she's gone missing because we're familiar with this premise. So we are, yeah. It's 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 hard to stand out in that kind of genre. So it's important for us to kind of understand what's different about it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's it's not a bad thing necessarily that you know it's, it's familiar territory because you know I, I I I love frantic. I love Gone Girl. I mean, I'd like I'd like to have that experience again. You know, it's fine. It's not necessarily bad, but you know, you've got you've got to give it give it a bit of a radical twist here. And I know what you're saying, Dave. That it can it comes later on. I know I know you're going to say that on YouTube, but. I've got, you know, I've got, I've got to get part of that message up front, otherwise it's it feels too close. Really, here we go. Oh, it's all really good feedback. Thank you very much, Dave. Much appreciated. That. Let's just have a final look and great advice, says Michelle um, from uh, from you, Annie. Good point, says Galadriel. Uh, and Eva says, Pete, you need a stiff whiskey. That's a funny thing. I've never actually come across a stiff whiskey. They've always been really kind of you know liquid and stuff. But I, 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 I could try. One. I could try one. I want to talk to you about your public service work, John Doherty. Oh yeah, you've, you've uh-huh. done all, you've done all kinds of things. You're patrons of this, that, and the other. You're patron of uh, reading in the UK, uh, founding yes. patron of the Chipping Norton Literary Festival, fervent supporter of and campaigner for a strong public library service. Let's talk about that first. Um, public libraries, I mean, they're doomed, don't they? Really? Well, I hope not. They're, you know, to get. Can't you can't not get political? Um, you can, no, you, it comes up. 
I do. Um, I mean, they, you've got to go political about this issue. I just, I just, just yeah. to in, interject here. We have a rule in, inside Latopia, inside the colony, we don't discuss politics because it's just too divisive. Yeah. It's too unpleasant. Yeah. But here, we're on the wider internet. You know, it's pop-up submissions. It's YouTube. We can, you can say what you want, so go for it. Um, essentially, we have we have had a decade of of the public library service being run down by stealth, and we are not going to. Uh, our, yes, our library service is doomed unless we can get a change of government. And I'm hmm. not telling anyone which parties to vote for. Um, you know, th- there there was a time when a conservative government, I think, would have fought for a strong public library service but over the last 10 years they have decimated it um, they've taken it to bed. Now, what's going on? What, what's going on? I know. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in my locality. It's been a shameful. I actually took photos of the destruction of our public library, yeah. which is just disgusting to heart-rendering, really. But what's going it on is. here? Is it just a way of saving a little bit of cash? Because it's not expensive compared to most of the other uh, amazing public projects that uh, governments do. Or is there another agenda? Is it a bit of social engineering, do you think? Because it's very Philistine, I'm- isn't it? It is. I really hope it's not. I mean, I think, I think it could be uh, um, a subconscious or an unconscious social engineering agenda. Mm. I mean, it's been pointed out before now that um, you know during the pandemic and some some of the stuff the government did in terms of of helping helping us get through the the lockdowns and so on was great. I I would have sunk without the um, self employed income support scheme. But there's been nothing for the arts, nothing at all. Um, and my my theory is because you know they've been quite a lot. I think you know sports have had a bit of a helping hand. Mm. Um, my theory is that most of the people in this in our in government at the moment went to the sort of school where if you played rugby, you got to be a prefect, and if you read books, you were a girly swat. Yeah. Oh, um, you've just um, taken the word straight out of our Prime Minister's mouth, I think. You even sounded like exactly. him. A bit scary channeling <laughs> going on here. But, you know, that that's what I think go- is going on. Um, Mi- Michelle saying, I found that many prisons had better libraries than some communities. Wow. Something that I think is extraordinary. I mean, I think prisons should have libraries. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm never going to argue against that. But I think it's extraordinary that... Yeah. Every prison in the country has to, by law, have a have a library. Schools do not. Yeah, that's extraordinary. Isn't there it? is yeah. no statutory yeah. requirement for a school to have so a library. So it's obvious if you want access to a good library service, just you know, knock a little old lady on the head, and there you go. Fantastic access yeah. to libraries. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, although uh, although I don't know how good those libraries are these days, um, and uh, and uh, although some, I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember when Chris Grayling was in charge of prisons there was some kind of issue about people being i i don't know denied books as punishment and yeah. had to be taken to court to have that overturned yeah, um, yeah. i don't so, remember the details on that so i mean i think this is going to have an effect and i totally agree with you about about you know the digital sort of you know compliments physical but it, it's it's not the same thing mm, really yeah um Increasing attainment across the board, says Kate. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it, this, this this all should be well accepted, really, by now in, in the 21st century, but it's not. Um, just one for fun- pleasure is one of the prime indicators of future academic success. It really is. You know, there's so much evidence to that. 
you get kids reading because they're they're having fun uh, they're going to do well at school yeah um, so what can and, we do and, about this because you know it's not a, it, the, the people who appreciate libraries and love them are nice and middle class people they don't they don't riot in the streets they don't send petrol bombs to politicians and things like that what can we actually do to to make to make them take notice of the fact that we want a little bit of money spent on these things um i guess all we can do is um let let the people in charge of making those decisions know but part of the problem mm. of course is that central government has um has cut funding to local authorities yeah then the local authorities go well you know we we don't have enough money for everything let's yeah. cut spending to libraries um you complain to the, you you complain to central government they say oh no that's not our decision that's yeah, uh, yeah. that's local passing government. you the complain book. to local government they say well we don't have any money what are we supposed passing to do the passing the book shameful yeah. we know what's going on they think we're stupid um total total change of uh, subject very quickly mm -hmm. children's senses of humor right you you've oh, been yeah. around in the business for a few years you've written 30 books you were a teacher before that have, have you have you seen or felt or perceived children's senses of humor change in that time do you think oh that's a good question um i don't think so oh good um, i really don't <laughs> i mean um i you know when i when i visit schools uh i haven't noticed sort of a, a decrease in the quality of laughter when i uh when i do readings or when i talk yeah. to them. um uh, i i think that uh, i think there are constants obviously the um the subject of jokes might change yeah. But what actually is funny? No, I, I, I think I think it's it's the same with all of us. I don't think adults' sense of humor. Well, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe as adults, we we've there there are times in the last uh, few decades where our sense of humor has got more cruel. I think. Yeah. Um. And uh, but I think partly that's about what you're exposed to. You know, it's um. You could change children's sense of humor if you wanted them to to be crueler you could give them crueler comedy then mm. they'd start finding crueler things funny please mm. don't do that anyone that no. would be a bad thing to do yeah um no. so yeah i think as a society there there has been a tendency yeah. for us uh, us to get crueler in our our, our humor yeah. and generally speaking publishers don't allow that with yeah. their authors i think there are possibly one or two big name exceptions but i'm not mm. going to name any names but basically fart jokes are still very funny oh yeah well Good. they've been funny <laughs> since the ancient greeks i think so aristophanes the clouds starts off i think with people farting in their sleep fantastic fantastic i've just been reminded we haven't actually sorry 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 dave we haven't actually come up with the whoa with the number yet that's our next submission 39 i don't think that's right annie you haven't pressed your button annie <laughs> yeah i tell you what i tell you what dave we will come back we'll come back in a moment when annie's pressed her button but right now we are going to go to our fourth submission today and this is what it is it's from emma it's called chalk hearts hearts h-e-r-t-s um, i need to explain that actually that's short um british short for uh hertfordshire it's not a spelling mistake it's um it's a county that people live in very posh county indeed and this is emma's blurb amy ashcroft escapes her violent boyfriend with the job at woodbrook primary school the place of traumatic memories that still plague her 20 years on 
secretly ashamed of her loser reputation, Amy pretends that she's never met Joel Craven, the once cherished teacher who unexpectedly becomes her colleague. Under the guise of a confident woman, Amy hooks Joel into a passionate relationship. But the fear of bursting his bubble with her true identity pushes her ever closer to being exposed. I tell everybody about, about you, Emma. Uh, BA ons in English literature and creative writing. And I've been magazine editing and proofreading for almost 20 years. My home in West Sussex, sandwiched between the sea and the South Downs countryside, has inspired the locations featured in this novel. Chalk Hearts. So I've got two spellings here. <laughs> Maybe you needed a little bit of proofing going on here. So I, I, the, I wonder, I wonder, I'm going to have to check. So in the blurb, it actually does it's uh, in the uh, description here it actually is h-e-a-r-t-s and i'm wondering whether that is probably correct chalk hearts i think it probably is let me check um will resonate with anyone who's ever experienced bullying in their lifetime and as the mother of two children i'm keen to raise awareness of this very serious issue i'm currently working on my next novel and while you do that i'm going to check the spelling of hearts and we're going to hear a fabulous reading from Kay. Chalk Hearts by Emma Whitaker, read by Kay. One, concealer and a brave face, the two magic ingredients that always kept scars at bay. Amy twisted the box in her hands, reading the words as they caught the sunlight. Buildable coverage with 24-hour staying power. Trying on a dab at the kitchen table, she held the back of a spoon to her jaw and coated a blemish until it was camouflaged. Darling, you've already eaten. Her housemate Colin slapped two carrier bags on the kitchen worktop and eyed her plate of toast crumbs. I told you to wait until I got home. I just wanted to try something crunchy, you know, to see if it still hurt when I chewed. And does it? Only a little. She searched him for reassurance. That's progress, right? Absolutely. Colin forced a grin and it was clear that there was something on his mind. Is anything wrong? Well, I really hate to tell you this, but let's just say you're lucky you weren't in the supermarket a minute ago. Amy almost whispered, You saw him. I can't be sure, he shook his head, but the guy looked identical. Her expression clouded over. Colin stopped unpacking the shopping and turned around to face her. Oh, I didn't mean to bog you down with the thought of that beast. You haven't. It's fine. She glanced out of the window, trying not to blink. Apart from the distant birdsong and a butterfly on the ivy, all was still. Her eyes trailed across the lichen-laced birdbath to the foxgloves flocking beyond the fish pond. Living in picturesque Popplewell was the only thing keeping her going. Sweetheart, he put his hands either side of her face. What can I do to make it better? Nothing, really. She shrugged him off softly. I'll be okay. Colin caught sight of the furrowed margarine. Is toast all you've had? Amy nodded solemnly. You need something more substantial now you can eat comfortably again. He rummaged through the shopping. What will it be? Eggs Benedict? Pancakes? Croque Monsieur? I'm really not hungry. She patted his arm. 
I've got so much to do. If you want my opinion, you need to take it easy. Have a break from all that job hunting. She headed into the hallway and started to climb the stairs. Before I forget, Colin passed her a padded envelope. Postman Pat couldn't be arsed to knock, so he dumped it at the gate instead. Amy grinned faintly as she took it through the doorway. Now are you sure I can't put some colour back into that face of yours? He held a packet up proudly. I have brioche. Not right now. I'll see you later. The parcel felt thick but easy to bend. Turning it over as she went upstairs, she recognised her father's handwriting. He always sent her letters by post whenever his emails weren't working. Amy put the envelope down on the bed and picked up her wash bag. She closed the bathroom door and her reflection was unavoidable. Her ash blonde hair trailed flatly onto her shoulders and her blue eyes sat like sapphires in her pale, milky skin. She touched the faded scratches on her cheekbone. Four weeks had passed since the attack and the bruises were evaporating to yellow on her flesh. Yet still a wave of coldness swooped over her. She swallowed hard, refusing to let the tears fall. Then, with a smothering of more concealer, she promptly returned to her room. For two hours she trolled websites and job adverts, bookmarking any options, but nothing seemed to match what she already had as a teacher at the quaint village school. She had been first to move into the Larkspur View Cottage, which she now shared with Colin Cleves, a bookshop manager, and Rosie Willis, a hotel receptionist. The three had stuck together through thick and thin, and the thought of ever leaving them filled her with sadness. You're looking at that screen again! Amy tried to concentrate through Rosie's nagging voice. I know, but I've got to. Every time I've seen you for the last couple of weeks, your face is either there or stuck in a newspaper. Okay, I have corrected this. It is H-E-A-R-T-S. So I do apologise for the um, the error there. I don't know where that crept in, actually, Emma. So it's Chalk Hearts, as in um, the heart surgeon. And the reaction of the genius room is something odd about the self-description, says Galadriel Martin. Relatable, needs a dash of disturbance. Um, furrowed margarine is nice. Johnny, break up with understanding friend. I'm, oh, no, I'm going backwards now. Nice opening line, says Jen. Michelle, love this opening. I thought it was a really strong opening too. What did you think, Annie? Yeah, I thought the opening line was really good for the concealer, mm. especially when later yeah. on we see um, a bit more about the scars, which I found very intriguing. Um, and that was one of the things that kind of made me connect to the character. But um, unfortunately, there was quite a lot that I felt wasn't really working. Um, specifically, the that self-description in front of the mirror, even though we get to the... Um, to the, the scars, which was something that I thought was good. The the whole bit about her hair and the sapphire blue eyes, I feel like that can kind of take you out a bit because it feels more like writing than it does mm. like a, a real person. Mm. Um, and also I thought there was maybe a bit of a wasted opportunity with her friend telling her about this, um, seeing someone in the supermarket. I feel like that would have been much more engaging if that had actually been the scene um, instead of her just thinking about um, what she's seen. If it was actually in the supermarket and she was able to relive whatever it is that she was thinking about, maybe it would be a more engaging um, opening. 
Yeah. Um, but okay. there, there seems to be a lot of interest and things happening, but there was just yeah. quite a few things that wasn't connecting with. So I'm just, just looking at the, the numbers here. Did you manage to press the vibe button on uh, the third submission, the previous one? Yeah, I've actually pressed done. it. I, I okay. pressed it last time, but I don't know why. All right. it's not <laughs> showing up at the moment. I will, okay. I will attend to that um, presently. Right. Let's I, hear from Let's hear from John. Yeah, I, I've got to agree with Annie on this. Um, I I like the title. Uh, I, I I have to say when when I thought it was hard for a chair, I thought, oh, I like that. I like a pun, but actually, I think it's stronger uh, uh, with you know H E A R T S. Um, yeah, and yeah. and the blurb, I, I like the blurb. The blurb makes me want to read more. Um, they, there's n there's not enough happening either in terms of events for me, or or more important, emotionally. This is a really emotional thing that we're talking about, and it's mm. getting skirted over. And yes, mm. people do kind of hide away from things, but if if this is about somebody not facing up, then you've got to show more clearly that they're not facing up, I think. Um, and I agree with Annie. Um, you know, if if she'd actually been in the supermarket and she'd seen him, or she'd seen someone she thought was him and, you know, couldn't be sure, um, but you, you've got something much more emotional there to, to, um, to grab onto. I think the, the moment that that the, the got a reaction from me while it was being read was when it describes, you know, the, the marks on her face. Yeah. And you suddenly realise, right, this is not just somebody who who, who shagged her and ghosted her. This is somebody mm. who's, mm. you know, who's really bad. Do and, that. And the question I've got... Game. The question I've got for both of you, actually, because uh, possibly I've got a different reaction to this, was that was the initial startup. It was it was very strong, uh, disturbing, really, mm. quite disturbing, and you know the the act of concealing makes you wonder mm. what's actually being concealed, what's what's going on there. True. Now, is that strong enough to drive you through the next few pages to to find out? I think in your case, Anne, you're saying it's not. Well, I was getting more. Um, I think I was starting to enjoy it more the further on that I got. So mm. I wasn't fully connecting at the start, but then later on, you you do start to ask questions and you start to wonder, right, what's happening? But yeah. I I do feel like the opening needs to be stronger. Okay, so Annie, um, just before we come back to you, John, we we got a, a score thing going on here, Annie. Right. So you okay. you've just voted. Have you just voted for Chalk Hearts, or have you voted for Gone Running? I've just voted for chalk hearts. I actually okay. voted for gone running. Um, okay. So earlier. what I what I'm going to do is I'm going to put those numbers in manually. So if you can remember the uh, the stars you gave, please, will you, right. will you tell me now? Um, for gone running, it yeah. was four for the title. Four for the title, right? Three for the blurb. Yeah. Three for the craft. Yeah, and commercial and bang. Four. Four for the bank. Fantastic. That's brilliant. And that's going in right now, as you can see. That's really good news. Thank you very much, John. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it needs to be... Uh, there's, a, there's a lot... There, there's too much in, the, in that intro. There's too much between the concealer and finding out what she's concealing. Um, I... I'm not really relating to Colin. He's he's sort of like, oh, you know, don't want to disturb you, yeah. but I saw that bastard. Oh, I've upset you. Oh, what can I do to make it better? And yeah. you know, he, he's 
he's we, he's two dimensional, isn't he? Really, yes. I mean, he's he's not yeah. our he's not our protagonist by any means, I don't think. But um, let's just let's well, just go back. Of, and, he's a bit of a prop at the moment. He is, yes. He's arm candy, isn't he? Really, but well, yeah. I mean, we we like that. Um, so. Michelle says, we know she's been attacked, but would have liked a little Easter egg about by who? I'm assuming from the blurb, the new co-worker is somehow connected to him. I'm assuming that too, but I don't know. Maybe it's not safe to assume that. Um, let's just go back now to Dave. This is where we challenge the whole logic system that underpins pop-up submissions. I could make an enormous cock-up right now, live on YouTube. Let's see. If, okay, we've got a number for you and those numbers do look great so we, we got a 57 very respectable 57 for you dave let's go back to chalk hearts numbers are still coming in a little bit from the genius room but 68 emma not bad not bad definitely within spitting distance of um the the current winner we've got one more submission to to go to today before we do have a show <laughs> Is this hi everyone it's chrissy just wanting to say hi everyone <laughs> hello chrissy hope you're okay hope your nails are intact still haven't bitten them too much kept you waiting sorry about that secrets of the monsoon forest middle grade children's fiction animal adventure with magical twist Secrets of the Monfern, uh, Monsoon Forest, this is the blurb, is an MG animal adventure set during World War II with a magical twist. Audrey, 12-year-old, must flee for the Japanese invasion of Burma. Must flee the Japanese invasion of Burma, Burma with the help of an elephant and young Mahout. Inspired by actual events, it draws on first-hand accounts of civilians and can be pitched as, this is not the blurb, it's the pitch, Warhorse with elephants! <laughs> or the Explorer for animal lovers. I like it. Tell everybody about you. Chrissy? After a 20-year career with the BBC, I wanted to get back to my true love, writing. It is a career path. People, I've heard other people say that. Uh, I work as a freelance journalist, but the bulk of my time is dedicated to pursuing my dream. Uh, this year, my fiction has been published in the National Flash Fiction Anthology, Glittery Literary. <laughs> I love that. Glittery Literary. <laughs> I'm completely sober as well. It's hard to say. Glittery Literary. And Literary Mama. That's great. Um, lots more to say about you, but really it's more important we hear the submission given a fabulous reading from Beverly. <coughs> Secrets of the Monsoon Forest by Chrissy Sturt Read by Bev Upper Burma, May 1942 Chapter 1 What's the point of living right on the edge of adventure if that very place is completely and entirely out of bounds? I stand at my bedroom window gazing onto a yard baked hard in the sun. Our old pony Bimble is snoozing in a scrap of shade, one small hoof tilted backwards. The sandpit is scattered with tin buckets, and just beyond is the deep green forest. I imagine the trees scooping me up, holding me high, sharing their secrets. Their wildness crowds right up against our fence, crashing into it like a sea, calling to me, Audrey, Audrey Eldred. 
Yet we're to go no further than the yard. Not now father's gone. Not now there's a war on her. And especially not now I'm to help look after my brothers and sisters above all else. I shall simply have to read my way into adventure instead, I say, turning from the view. My hand is already on the jungle book, sliding it off the shelf. At least adventures in books come chapter by chapter, in neat, measured portions, and nothing too terrible ever happens. I flop down onto the bed, sandals and all. Audie, read to me too. I'd forgotten about Lucinda. She's playing marbles down on the floorboards. She's six, precisely half my age, exactly half my size, and dark to my blonde. All my family is dark. I hardly look as if I belong. Pale as a peeled pear, father calls me. Cinder, it's far too hot for reading aloud. Truth is, my morning chores are complete. The twins and baby Katie are finally asleep, and I just want to read to myself. I run my fingers over the book's thick, creamy pages. His father's letter tucked at the back. My precious metal bookmark guides me to the right place, just as something drops onto my head. Gertie! Gertie the Eighth, to be exact. The eighth lizard to have taken up residence on our ceiling. Mother says house lizards are just one of the bad things about living in Burma. I untangle his claws from my hair and pop him onto the windowsill where he chirrups loudly. Stay there, you naughty creature. Now Lucinda has climbed up. Lucinda Limpet, I call her. She waggles her cuddle-to-death mousy toy right in my face. He was mine once before she seized him. Now he smells of stale saliva and sand pits. Yuck! I try to push her off. Go and lie on your own bed and read to yourself. We share this bed. We share everything and sometimes I'd rather share nothing at all. You won't improve if you're always asking me to read for you. But Audie, you do the best voices. I shove her again, and then I remember Father. The day he left, Father crouched down in front of me, took my hands in his. Audrey, I need you to be Mother's best help, yes? And there was such pleading in his eyes that I promised with every ounce of my being, yes, father, yes. And he wrapped me in his thick arms, smoothing my hair and saying, good girl, good girl, until I felt like the goodest girl alive. Can we have a Mowgli story? Lucinda stretches alongside me despite the heat. No, I'm on the elephant one. Please. She's looking up at me prettily. Always how she gets her own way. I'll read you the elephant story or nothing at all. As I start to read, I'm soon slipping into the steamy jungle, pushing heavy creepers aside, trying to catch up with little Tumai, the boy who rides elephants. Audrey! Mother's voice comes poking in amongst the leaves. I cling on. Audrey! The foliage clears to reveal Mother standing in the doorway. She's dressed for church, cornflower blue skirt and jacket, boxy hat on her head, but it's not Sunday and she's looking nowhere near as neat and pressed as normal. Girls, we're leaving. Leaving? I drop the jungle book and swing off the bed, tipping Lucinda onto the floor with a splat and a cry. There's a flicker of excitement in my belly. Something is happening. 
At last. Oh, and here we are. Last mission of the day. No points at the moment. Oh, yes, it's still starting to come in. But it looks very much at the moment as if John Pryor's Return Zero Science Fiction is the leading contender. But it might not be after we hear from... Yeah, John. Now, just look in the uh, genius room, actually, John, and a couple of uh, general trends emerging. Uh, a lot of people are saying competent writing. Some people are saying more than that. Martin says stylish economical writing. But then one or two people are raising this issue, like Hannah, for example, doesn't feel uh, middle grade, um, more young teen. And I think Vagabond says that too somewhere. So is, is that an issue, do you think, John? Uh, not at all. I would disagree with that entirely. In okay. fact, I would go as far as to suggest that, um, well, you know, I, you know, I'm sure as an agent you've had to tell people go away and read something the genre that you're trying to write for. Yes, <laughs> I, I will eat my hat if it's Chrissy, isn't it? Who's written this? It's Chrissy. I will, yeah. I will eat my hat if Chrissy isn't somebody who devours middle grade fiction. Um, this, to me, it, you know, so, somebody uh, mentioned, I think it was Kate, who said this would sit right along Hilary Mackay. Yeah. Um, among others, you know, um, it's, um, it, it made me think for some reason a little of The, the Shark Caller by Zilla Bethel as well. Oh, yeah. It's um, quite, a different, quite a different book. I would say this is, for me, this is very firmly middle grade and and high quality middle grade very good i i, I really loved it um and you know I, I, as i said uh last last time i was here if i give you know if i give full marks to something mm. it doesn't mean it's perfect but it means it's agent ready and for yeah. me this is this is agent ready there you go chrissy you've got a great endorsement already you can use that on submission i really loved it john doherty what more could you want possibly mm. to hear from any and I also, I also really enjoyed it. The um, the writing was very good, and um, you could really believe that it was a that it was like a, a twelve year old that was. Um, she had a like a really nice personality, and um, like you could kind of feel that frustration of not wanting to take care of your of your sibling, and it sort of sets up what I imagine is going to be one of the themes of of the book of. You know, being that young and already having to be very responsible at an age that you probably don't have to, because um, based on the setting, even though it's like a magical adventure and everything, based on the time period, it'll probably get a little bit dark, um, considering it's Japanese invasion. So I think that's yeah. something that will have to be done mm. with caution. Yeah. But it's a very, I think it's an interesting take on, um, it'll be like very good for, for children to be able to read about something like that if it's yeah. handled well. Yeah. Um, I, did, I did feel like there was maybe a little too much waiting around. Like as soon as the mum came in and, and there was um, that sense that, right, this is like even the main character herself was like, oh, finally something's happening. Um, I kind of felt like that as well. I, f I feel like the scene where the sister went on maybe a little bit too long. But um, other than that, I thought it was... Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Fantastic. And then reflected in your in your comment, and your remarks there, actually, Annie. Um, Kate says, upper, upper middle grade, they can handle darker themes. And E.G. says, mine's gone bang. I don't know what you're talking about. 
that's that's the genius room does say stuff like that sometimes <laughs> it means something to them goes straight <laughs> over my head but i'm not a genius that's why um and Michelle says, let me pick this up because I think, yeah, this is really interesting. Michelle says, I work in a bookstore. It's the very kind of story I find kids sitting mm. on the floor reading lost in it. That's very, very interesting. What, earth, what was that? Sorry, that's my phone. <laughs> <laughs> How interesting, how interesting. I, 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 just, I was so nonplussed by that. Uh, let's get the numbers here. Chrissy, Chrissy, oh, wow. look. My goodness gracious me. Wow, let's just digest that for a moment. Oh, interesting, Michelle. My son's favourite movie at 10 years old was Empire of the Sun. Yeah, I could see that too. Mm. Uh, you've got remarkably good scores here, actually, Chrissy. Remarkably good scores. So you now become, actually... Let's just press the button, shall we? Let's press the button. Exactly. You are the show winner, and actually, I happen to know, because I know what the scores were previously, you're actually, so far, seriously in the lead in terms of the uh, monthly submissions. Um, we've it's been quite long today, but I hope hopefully it's been interesting for you. It's been interesting. Let us know. You know, any comments, thoughts, suggestions, criticisms, even yes, we can take it. Uh, we don't we dish it out, so we can take it. Why not? Um, let us know, please. It's really uh, really wonderful hearing uh, from you, and uh, we do take everything you say really seriously because this is a new idea, guys. Submissions like this, you know, it's never been done in public before. This is what happens behind the scenes. Tradition of publishing. Here we are exposing ourselves in well. Not really. Um, let me <laughs> say thank you to the the guy who we're so grateful to have joined us again today. And he's he's actually really ill. You can hear him suffering a bit in the background, but he's still a complete trooper. And he has uh, just excelled himself again today. So so pleased to have John Docky back, and hopefully you'll come back again soon, John. Hopefully you'll be feeling a little bit better. Then I want to say thank you to the wonderful Annie, who is has got her own growing fandom out there, actually. Thank you, geniuses in the genius room. Thank you, Kate and Emily and Rachel for doing so much work behind the scenes and our narrators but most of all thank you so much to the writers who keep feeding the world with wonderful wonderful bits of magic thank you so much guys see you same time next week hit it that's what I'm talking about wait okay now from the beginning hit it boys
Bosco.